welcome back to In the Know. I'm Luke Diamond. I'm Tiffany Bully. Tiffany, on your um, Facebook memories, what uh, what what was going on with you in the past couple of years? Um, well, I just made a friend to today. Is it a friend that you're still in touch with? No. Oh yeah. How many years ago was that? Just high school. Oh yeah. Fun the times. high school friends yep. they float away. Um, let's see. Uh, five years ago, I posted a status called "Why I'm Majoring in Acting." Ooh. <laughs> How the times change. That's an age well. And then seven years ago, so this was 2012. That would make me what? I'm 24 now, so 17. I said, "I'm going to cry." <laughs> <laughs> and and the boy who I had a crush on at the time liked it. <laughs> oh. So in like a comforting way. No, I no idea. Ask my ask my seventeen year old self. Wait, does it just say I'm going to cry? Yep, it just says I'm going to <laughs> because cry. Because if so, that is so relatable. Yeah, that was a mood. It's probably listening to Avril Lavigne while I posted it. Avril Lavigne had some bops. She did. She did. Okay, let's get to the headline. Been smushed into a campus connector lately? So have many other university students, sparking complaints of overcrowding that the university's parking and transportation services is vowing to address. In mid-February, the Minnesota Student Association received reports of students being pushed down while trying to board the 4th Street Circulator near the Bridges Apartments. PTS apologized for the overcrowding and says it is adding four new buses in the fall and considering route adjustments. President Kaler has recommended plans to rename Kaufman Union and three other campus buildings to the Board of Regents. His recommendation is based on a 125-page report of racist and anti-Semitic policies upheld by President Kaufman and other namesake administrators in the 1930s and 40s. The student body is split, according to the authors of the report. The Board of Regents is expected to make a final decision before July. Foot washing stations around the university are drawing criticism from some Muslim students for their poor design. The university installed the stations after realizing the school lacked places for Muslim students to comfortably perform wudu, the ritualistic cleansing of face, hands, and feet. However, some students feel the stations are hard to use and unclean. Many are tucked inside custodial supply closets. A Minnesota Student Association representative said that although the stations are appreciated, they could be improved. And those are headlines for the week. Each day, you hand over parts of yourself, your personal data, to companies without a second thought. While you shop on Amazon, argue on Facebook, and swipe through Tinder, someone or something waits around every corner, clamoring for your information. Even your university. But unlike these companies, University of Minnesota makes your information publicly accessible. Maybe this doesn't bother you. Maybe you've hidden your data and moved on. But there's one student who just couldn't let it go. I'm Sina Rogani. I'm an electrical engineering sophomore. Describe to me the first time that you realized how much student information the university makes available to the public. Well, around November of 2017, I first started exploring the PeopleSearch system. PeopleSearch is the university's online directory of students, faculty, and alumni. Anyone can use it to find your name, your student email, your major, your cell phone number, and your address. If a student wants to, they can log into their MyU account and change their privacy settings, but the default setting is for the university to share your information. 
This struck Cena as an invasion of student privacy. And so um, I thought that it would be quite romantic as a gift to um, create uh, as a present for somebody um, a change of that system. Because once I found out that um, everybody's home addresses and phone numbers were there, I thought that that policy stank. So I thought that I would go about bringing about reform in the policy. So I started to scrape the database just to see how much data there was. The first time I got started on it was at a little hackathon in Minneapolis. And so I created a little program and in about like five hours once I got everything set up I collected like a thousand or five thousand uh, home addresses and names and things and then once I came back to campus I started to spend a lot of time on trying to collect um, as much as I could and um, I, I wanted to collect a bunch before an MSA public meeting was uh, being held where President Kaler would be there Wait, can we back up? You said that you started all of this as a romantic gesture. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Um, I I don't, I don't think uh, romantic as much as uh, just a cute thing for a friend. Um, yeah. To protect their privacy. No, no, no. I just thought that they would think that it's, um, you know, nice that we don't have that policy anymore. So you decided to set about changing a huge policy at the university as a... A, a gesture to your friend? Yeah, I thought it would be uh, cute, I, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too great at these things. Uh, didn't end up working perfectly, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure they appreciated it. So, You know, some people just uh, buy a gift card and put it in a card. Probably would have been a lot cheaper. <laughs> Cena presented his findings at an MSA meeting, and members began consulting him for more information. He ended up authoring a report for the student government and the president that detailed how people's search could be exploited. His verdict? I, I basically found out that I can do anything, really. Here's how the technology works, according to Cena. When you make a Google search, Google sends out something called spiders to retrieve information. However, a piece of code called the robot's text file can block the spiders from retrieving information you would want to be secure, like your home address. The directory system doesn't have this file, so if you're a student at the university who has not adjusted your privacy settings, a Google search by anyone will easily retrieve it. Sina also looked at how other schools secure their student directories. I went in and explored what other schools are doing, University of Wisconsin, University of Iowa, Yale, um, all these different schools have way better systems than we have. I mean, some of them, for example, um, yeah, you can see what a person's email is, but in order to see their phone number or their home address, you need to log in with your X500 account. You can't just see it on the internet. That would be an invasion of that student's privacy. According to the University of Minnesota's policy, that's not an invasion of their privacy. Sino reached out to the president's office himself, and to drive his point home... I ended up printing out um, on a couple hundred sheets of paper in four-point font um, every X500, which I found a home address for. It was about an inch or two thick. And I took this to the office of the president just to tell him that each one of those was a student. Each one of those has their own lives and their own hopes and aspirations and all of their home addresses and 
phone numbers and contact details are publicly available and completely unregulated. And so I turned those in to President Kaler's secretary and I left his office. That was 15 months ago. Cena says Kaler's office still hasn't responded to him. Cena is worried that students who don't know how or even that they should adjust their privacy settings are vulnerable to attacks from those with malicious intent. MSA is worried too, which is why they passed a resolution to limit the amount of student information publicly available on PeopleSearch. Our reporter, Neve Kumi, covered the resolution. Uh, my name is Neve Kumi, and I am on the student government beat. So overall, the resolution makes three suggestions. Um, it starts by outlining some of the potential issues with having so much information online. But the three suggestions that it outlines for the university are that the university implements a limited directory category, which means that certain information, such as home address, for example, wouldn't be publicly accessible. It would only be accessible internal to the university. The second recommendation is that there's a consistent census date. And what that means is that there is one date when all uh, when all student information goes up onto the database. Right now, it's not clear when that date is or whether it's staggered. Um, that's not something that we know. Um, and making it a consistent date would make it easier to um, inform students and, and make sure that everyone's on the same page as far as that goes. Um, and the final suggestion is that the university maintains documentation of any third parties or external parties that try and access student data, um, particularly third parties that try and access more than 100 um, students' data, um, and that students will be able to access that information via request. Um, so those are the three main suggestions that the resolution makes. Neev spoke to Professor Jane Kirtley, a professor in the journalism department, about why the university would be so open with disclosing student information. Her guess? It's just cheaper. The main reason that she claimed that a lot of universities and larger institutions um, have the database the way that it is with more information out there is simply because it's easier. Um, they're doing exactly what they need to do that's required by law. Um, they have the directory. And while they get to determine what is on the directory, um, they're not, by not making it an opt-in process rather than an opt-out process, they're simply saving money and doing what they need to do without necessarily doing more. The flip side is that open student records can be a form of transparency. Anyone can see who the university is letting into the school. She kind of made the point that um, there is another side of this argument, um, and that is that sometimes having public data out there can be good in the sense that it can help ho hold the university accountable. Um, particularly, the, the example that she gave me was um, when it comes to like monitoring who the university is accepting, um, especially when it comes to monitoring like uh, discrimination, stuff like that. So the university is just following the law. Like This is all allowed. Exactly, yeah. They are not breaking any laws. They're not doing anything illegal. Um, the university has a database, which is um, required by law, um, and they also provide students which, with the option to opt out, which is also required by law, um, as well as notifying students that they have this option, which is also required by law. Um, but they aren't doing anything further than that. Um, essentially, they're doing the bare minimum and following laws. While federal and state laws require the existence of people search. Some say the university could be doing more to alert students to their right to opt out. One thing that I talked about with um, Don Gemberling, who was an author of um, the Minnesota Government Data Practices Act, one of the authors, um, what he was saying is 
he questioned whether they are adequately informing students. And that is something that has been brought up to me by a lot of the sources that I talked to for the story, um, whether an email going out to students is enough to inform them. Um, and while obviously students have some kind of responsibility and some kind of role in suppressing their own data, um, there is a large question of whether the university is adequately informing them of that option. And while they are legally covering all their bases, as I said, um, it's not clear if that notification is, is adequate enough. Hi, I'm Kate Kuehl. I am a programmer and I study food systems. And you're an MSA representative? Yep, I'm an at-large MSA representative. In addition to being a student, Kate helps sexual assault survivors manage their online data privacy. When she discovered that her personal information was available through the university website, she immediately changed her MyU settings. Yeah, I felt evasion of privacy. I had had stalkers before, or one stalker in particular, um, find out where I lived and it wasn't the address that was on there but it was still just like why is the university putting my information up there like I didn't have a lot of trust in the university after that. Kate joined MSA's mission to protect student data. She advises people to be diligent about googling themselves periodically to see what information about them is available online. Google your address, google your phone number, google your name, multiple versions of your name, um, Google your usernames too, because your usernames that you think are private can link back to you and if you're using the same one in multiple places. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, it's a lot of this is basic stuff like use good passwords. Um, people always say that and make sure that you log out of places and every once in a while go back into your accounts and yeah, just make sure you are logged out. Kate and MSA celebrated their first big win when Minnesota Representative Eric Lucero offered his support for their cause. And he was uh, been working on data privacy issues for a long time, and so now we're working with him um, to try to take this up to the state level as well, and then also working with administrators to see this um, see our hopes be implemented. I'm really looking forward to some legislative um, reform um, in terms of the Board of Regents doing something different about um, how they're dealing with student data. In the Know is produced by me, Luke Diamond, and is reported by my co-host, Tiffany Bouie. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.